Good morning. Uh, today's reading um, this comes from Exodus chapters 3 and 4. And if you're using the church Bibles, which you'll find in the back of the chair in front of you, it's on page 59. So Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, page 59. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name that you call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of the Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand 
and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. In chapter 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is it that is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he, when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into the cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, Take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go. I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, 
so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord lets him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had said to him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron uh, brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Well, good morning. As we start today, I wonder if you've got a phone with you, could you just take it out and unlock it for me? Please don't go on Facebook. Um, But can you find your contacts and just have a scroll through your contacts on your phone? And as you're flicking through those names, maybe there's one or two that stand out to you that are names of people who you think, oh, I wouldn't want to talk to them about Jesus. Maybe you could just hover over that person's name for a second. What is it about them that makes you feel um, that they wouldn't listen to you? Or maybe, what is it about you that makes you feel you're just not the right person to share with them? You can put your phone away now. Save the distractions of Facebook for later. But we can all feel sometimes, can't we, like we're just not the right person for the job. Maybe it's that we just feel we've got nothing in common with this person and we're not cool enough. I certainly don't feel sporty enough lots of the time. Um, We've not got the right connections. Or maybe we've seen God transform someone else's friends and family into amazing things in their lives. But we've just got a sneaking little suspicion that he wouldn't do that for me or for my friends. When we first moved to Hanoi, um, I vividly remember sitting down in our apartment um, and having some new friends coming over to to visit us, and we were going to have dinner together. Um, And Jasmine and I sat down, and we we were about to get up and cook with them, but our friends said, no, 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 you sit down, we'll do the cooking. They didn't trust that we were going to be able to get the right flavors together. How was I, a dependent foreigner who couldn't speak the language and couldn't even participate in preparing a meal, how was I supposed to share the gospel with these friends? If you're anything like me, the question at the back of your mind when thinking about mission is, how could God use someone like me? Well, if you can relate to any of that, let's see what God has to say to us about it in the passage that we just heard read. It's a long passage and an amazing story. Don't worry, we're not going to pick apart every detail. But let me just tell you a few things about it. Let me just um, help you see the crazy, impossible situation that Moses found himself in. And why he was so scared. And let me share with you some things that I love about God from this passage as well. But let's set the scene. We're near the beginning of the book of Exodus. 
And God's people, the Israelites, are in trouble. They're slaves in Egypt. And they're slaves of the ruler, Pharaoh. And because they've been fruitful and multiplying, Pharaoh's getting scared of them. And he's worried that they might, um, they might be able to have power over the Egyptians. And so he started oppressing them. And actually, the Israelite situation is really dire. They're subjected to forced labor. They're made to build Egyptian cities. They're under slave drivers who are working them ruthlessly. And worst of all, Pharaoh has just ordered that any of their children under the age of two, the boys, are to be thrown into the river to die. I don't know if you've heard the stories online recently um, about the Uyghur people in China. Um, Several Western countries are accusing China of genocide and with evidence of Uyghur people being forced into re-education camps, forced labor, abuse, and even forced sterilization of Uyghur women. The Israelite situation was similar to theirs. They were in desperate need of rescue and crying out to God to deliver them. And the first thing we learn from today's passage is that God cares about his people. Let's look together at chapter 3 from verses 7 to 10. And just notice how God isn't just aware of the Israelite situation. He has seen the misery of his people. He has heard their cries. So he has come down to rescue them and bring them up. Again in verse 9, God has heard his people's cry and he has seen their oppression. And later in verses 16 and 17, again God says how he has been watching over his people And he has seen what has been done to them, and he is concerned about them. He's promised to bring them up. Do you know this morning how incredibly much your God loves you and cares for you and watches over you? All senses of his are tuned into your experience. When my son John had just learned to walk, we were in my mum's garden um, and I was sitting chatting to my mum. I suddenly heard a cry. And as I looked over, I saw that he'd toddled and fallen down a step onto the patio. And he was lying on the ground crying. And my heart leapt inside me. And I jumped up and scooped him up and made sure he was okay. If that's how we feel when someone that we care about is hurting, how much more God cares about his people. And if you care, you'll do something about it. Well, let's look down again at verses um, 7 to 10 and notice the sandwich. In verse 7, God sees and he hears and is concerned. In verse 9, he has heard them and seen them. What's the filling of that sandwich right in the middle? Verse 8, God is coming down to rescue his people and bring them up. But this is where we're in for a surprise because God doesn't stop speaking at that point. What happens in verse 10? God says to Moses, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Maybe it's easy for us to miss the shock of this because we're used to how the story ends. But Moses was such an extremely unlikely choice. He was a nobody. He'd been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He didn't even have his own flock It's even worse when we remember from the end of Genesis that the Egyptians, the people God was sending him to, they despised shepherds. 
And even in his own life experience, his people had spurned him before. He tried to help a fellow Israelite who was being beaten. And they turned around to him and they said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Moses had to run away because Pharaoh tried to have him killed. And now here he is, an old man wandering in the wilderness. And God is telling him to go back and confront the the leader of a greatest superpower in the world at that point. Like an old bin man going up to Richard Branson and telling him what to do with his money. Moses just seems like the wrong choice. And he knows it too. Now when God told him to go and bring the Israelites up out of Egypt, Moses gave God five different responses. I wonder if you noticed them as we heard the reading. Let's find them again. And as we find them, listen out for Moses' self-doubt. So in chapter 3, verse 11, Moses asks, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Then in verse 13, Moses basically asks, And and who are you, God, that I should trust you? Then in the first verse of chapter 4, he's doubting himself again. What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And in verse 10, Moses is still trying to back out of his call. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. We certainly felt slow of speech and tongue in Vietnam. Um, When you held up the book, Ben, the God's Big Picture Storybook Bible, I remember reading the Vietnamese version of that with our teacher, a children's Bible, stumbling over the words. And then back to Moses, finally in verse 13, he stops finding excuses and he just wishes he'd never been commissioned to go at all. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. It's understandable why Moses was so reluctant. His mission seems, if not suicidal, at least extremely impossible. Now, have you ever been asked to do something that you just don't feel capable of doing? For me, um, I remember going to our Vietnamese teacher's wedding, and a big part of weddings is singing there. And she said, oh, Tom and Jasmine, I'd love for you to sing some karaoke for us. Um, (laughs) My stomach was squirming inside. I'd never felt so uncomfortable, I don't think, standing up in front of a bunch of people and and singing Disney songs down the microphone. Um, It still makes me squirm to think about it. Thankfully, in Vietnam, it turns out that enthusiasm is more important than skill in karaoke. But how does God respond to Moses' fearful questions of this man who is so doubting himself, who feels so uncomfortable? Is God angry? Is God disappointed? Does he disapprove? No. When Moses asks, who am I in chapters 3 verse 12? God says, I will be with you. And then when Moses asks, and who are you? God tells Moses his name and tells him again to go and even promises him exactly what's going to happen every step of the way. And by the way, don't you just love that God knew Moses' name way before Moses knew God's name? God was calling Moses' name back in the burning bush. And he knows our names as well way before we ever hear of him. When Moses worried that no one would listen to him, God gave him miraculous signs to perform. And when Moses complains about his big weakness, his slow tongue, 
God's reply is so kind. God says, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. God created you with all your weak parts, all your insecurities, the bits you feel least comfortable with. He made you like that. He already knows what's going to happen. And when you step out in faith and trust him, he will use your weak bits, your, the bits you're most insecure about, your failing bits, to show his glory because he will be with you. God so patiently answers all of Moses' questions because the success of the rescue mission does not depend on Moses or his ability. It depends on God. And God will bring success in God's time. And God will be with Moses. If you go to Boots Pharmacy in Barnsley, Yorkshire, should you find yourself there, you'll find two blue plaques on the wall. One's in English and the other one's in simplified Chinese because of the groups of Chinese tourists who come to visit this place. Now, what could possibly bring groups of Chinese tourists to the boots in Barnsley? The plaques mark the birthplace of James Hudson Taylor, missionary to China in the 1800s and founder of the China Inland Mission, which by God's grace saw the amazing growth of the Chinese church. The Chinese tour groups are coming to see the home of their spiritual grandfather. And he said these words. All God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Now, at this point, you may well be asking what all this has to do with us today. None of us is going to have a commission quite like Moses to go talk to a pharaoh and bring a whole nation out of Egypt. Um, None of us is going to have a divine showdown and part the Red Sea. You might be thinking, it's all very well for Moses. He heard God's voice and he saw a burning flame in a bush. Um, But if God's calling me, where's my burning bush? Well, just imagine for a moment that you're doing your normal daily work. Maybe sitting behind your desk. You might be still working from home. You're tapping away on your computer. And suddenly, the pot plant on your windowsill bursts into flame. And smoke starts billowing up out of it. And you're not sure what's going on. You grab your coffee and throw it over the plant. But it just doesn't go out. And as you're getting up to open the window to waft the smoke out of the room, you hear a voice. And it says, Ben, Ben, take off your slippers. The place you are standing is holy ground. Amazing as that would be, do you really think that experience would wipe away all your fears? Because it didn't for Moses. And if we do want to hear God's voice calling us, we only need to turn to his word. Better than flames in a bush, Jesus has come, the son of God himself. And his words are recorded for us in this book. And we can hold them in our hands and read them whenever we want to. And in here, Jesus says to us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Did it sound familiar when God said to Moses, I will be with you? Where else have we heard those words? 
they turn up at various important points in the Bible. Maybe in Judges, where Gideon is commissioned to go and save Israel. And he says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered him, I will be with you. Or later, when God called the prophet Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said, Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. And then the one maybe we were all thinking of, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is speaking to us today. And if you come to him with your fears and your insecurities, And your objections, because you just don't feel the right person for the job. He will patiently answer them. Brother, sister, he promises to be with you too. But it's very easy, isn't it, to confuse God's patience with leniency. And I think that's maybe what Moses did too. That's why after all of God's patient answers, Moses' fifth and final objection went something like this. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. But God won't let us wiggle our way out of proclaiming his rescue. Did you know there were only two prophets in the Old Testament who seriously tried to get out of their commission? The first was Moses, and the second one spent three days inside a fish. Neither of them got out of doing what God told them to do. Because God cares too much about those he's sending you to, to let you refuse. A few words about Vietnam. It's a huge country, um, longer than the UK, the map's there at a scale, and with a greater population than the UK. It's a communist nation, um, where Christians are persecuted, and it's a religious nation. Um, so people, people do have faith. And when we ask what they have faith in, They have faith in several different things. They believe in the Buddha. And they believe in Confucius. And they follow Confucian ways from China. And they believe in Darwin. And they're all educated in evolution at university. And they believe in Karl Marx. And in order to pass your degree in Vietnam, you have to pass a course in Marxism. And friends have told us it's the most difficult course um, that that they do. They believe in Ho Chi Minh, the revolutionary leader who um, led Vietnam to victory, even against the USA, all those years ago. But most of all, they worship their ancestors. So most homes in Vietnam will have a table like this, um, set out for the ancestors, for the spirits, and with incense burning, and food offered up there so the spirits can eat them before the family does. There are 54 different ethnic minority groups in Vietnam. And each one of these people groups has their own language and their own culture. And the gospel has gone to some of them more than others. And if we just concentrate on the majority people group, the, the, the Vietnamese kin, there are 85 million of them or so. 
And you can see the numbers there. In, in southern Vietnam, there are few Christians. In northern Vietnam, there are extremely few Christians. God cares too much about these dear people to let us wiggle out of, out of proclaiming his gospel to them. And the good news is that God can send anyone. Because God's the rescuer. Moses was just the messenger. And in the end, he went. Now, I get the sense from what he says to his father-in-law, Jethro, that he didn't go merrily skipping his way off the Pharaoh's palace, confident of victory. From his tone, he seems pretty resigned, actually. Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Hardly the words you'd expect from someone who's just had an amazing encounter with God. But he still went. And because he did, the rest of the book of Exodus tells the incredible story of a weak man who did mighty things because God was with him. God can send anyone. Now, if you know your neighbor needs bread, but your cupboards are empty, you've not got any money, there's not much you can do. In the close to where we live, there's a bakery called the Source of Life Bakehouse, which is an incredible name. And if you're friends with the owner of that bakehouse, it doesn't matter that you might think you're a hopeless baker. It doesn't matter that you've not got the baking tins. It doesn't matter that you've not got the ingredients. All you need to do is go to your friend, the baker, get the lovely, delicious Source of Life bread from him and deliver it over to your neighbor who really needs it. And let's not forget the content of this bread, the content of the good news we have to tell. All of us were born into a slavery which was just as cruel as the Israelites. Slavery to sin and death and the devil. But God has heard our cries and he saw our misery and he was concerned for us. And so he came down, sending his son to rescue us by dying on the cross. Jesus bled and died to pay our ransom, to wipe out our sin and break us out of slavery. And to bring us up with him into adoption as children of God, into heaven, into eternal life. And now he sends us to deliver his good news to those who haven't yet accepted it or received it. So what is God asking us to do? Well, if Jesus was standing here right now, he would be asking, will you be my delivery driver? He loves you. He knows your name. He promises to be with you. Will you deliver the good news? And what would it look like for us to say yes? Well, one Vietnamese friend comes to mind. Really inspirational to us, actually. She's a young woman, a student, who has a deep desire to share the gospel in the Middle East, uh, in a country where Christians are even more severely persecuted than in Vietnam. Now, she has no money and no family support. Her parents don't yet know Jesus. And despite all these obstacles to the seemingly impossible task that she believes God's given her, she knows that those people need to hear about Jesus, and she's determined to go. She's visited a neighboring country already, and she's been visiting churches in Hanoi to stir up prayer for this country. 
Because she trusts that God will provide what she needs to live and work in this nation. And she is not afraid because she knows that God's with her. Jesus is calling all of us to deliver the good news of his rescue to the world. Maybe you're already thinking of going and God's placed a nation on your heart. If that's you, don't let self-doubt hold you back. Take all your objections to your father and hear him lovingly answer them. Come and talk to me after the service. I'd love to hear your story and share some more of mine. Now, if that's not you, if you don't feel called abroad, just for a second, don't assume that God isn't calling you. It's very easy in a sermon like this um, to move past the challenge of going because we know, rightly so, that God calls many to stay. But will you spend 15 minutes this week sitting down with God in an open Bible and will you tell him as honestly as you can, God, I will go wherever you send me. Listen to him with your Bible open and don't be too, too quick to assume that he will send someone else. Or if you are called to stay, there are many vital ways that you can be part of delivering Jesus' gospel around the world. And if you're already doing this, let me encourage you to keep going. I know how many of you um, are committed here to supporting Global Mission. But here are some ideas for how that might work. Maybe adopt a country as a family. You could use a globe and prayerfully choose a country to invest prayer in. Maybe one of the countries this church already supports mission in, like Spain, Bolivia, Australia, Italy, Brazil. I wouldn't complain if you chose Vietnam. There's some great resources online like the Joshua Project, um, which break down the people groups in every nation and give some ideas of how to pray for each one of them. If you are praying for a country, I'd really recommend this website to you to find out more information so you can learn about the people and pray for them. Um, in a more informed way. Um, I have some prayer guides with me. If you'd like to pray for Vietnam and you, and you will pray, you can have one for free at the back. And um, They contain stories of Vietnamese Christians. Um, I'd love for you to take one of those and commit to praying for, for our family in Vietnam. Maybe you've signed up to receive newsletters from a missionary that this church partners with already. Um, and on that, when you're overseas and feeling a bit lonely and a bit isolated and you send off a prayer letter, it's so encouraging when people drop you even a one-liner in response that just says, we love you, and we're praying for you, and maybe here's a photo of us and the dog at the park. Um, it really helps to feel connected to your church body back at home. Um, and even if there's not time for, for the missionary to send back detailed responses to everyone, that's such an encouragement. Let me encourage you um, to send them a little one-line response. Um, and you may find that as you pray and learn about a nation, that God um, moves you to go and visit and see how else you can be involved. But we don't just have to go, do we, to share the gospel. Today, God has wonderfully brought many people from all around the world to the UK um, to live and work here. Who could you have a gospel conversation with this week? Maybe remember back to that person you found on your phone. Could you pray to God this week? And that he would help you have confidence to talk to them. They can't be more opposed to God than Pharaoh was. And you can't be feeling more scared than Moses was. Speak to God about your fears and insecurities. And let him lovingly remind you 
that he is with you and he will teach you what to say. Maybe you're here and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian. What if God has sent me here today to be your messenger? Jesus Christ died to deal with his people's sins. And he has been raised from the dead. He rules the world from heaven right now. And he sends his spirit to live inside those who trust him. And he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And to bring his people up to enjoy life and love with him forever. Cry out to him. Because he hears your cries. And he sees your difficulties. He's concerned for his people. And he's come down to rescue you. And then find someone here. There are so many people in this building who would love to tell you about Jesus. And just grab someone and ask them to talk about it and they'll pray with you. What would it look like for you to say yes? Church, just imagine for a minute. If we committed to trusting God and doing what he says, not stumbling over our insecurities, but believing that he is with us, What impossible things might God do through you? What hidden corners of the world might receive the gospel through your words or prayers? Remote villages buried in the mountains where the name of Jesus has never been spoken, now echoing with the sound of praises. Or a crowded alleyway and scooters squeezing past street sellers And a table full of students eating noodles with open Bibles, studying God's word together. Or maybe imagine a humid apartment. Old men and women living alone and feeling isolated in the city. Living under a haze of incense from their family altar. Hearing for the first time of the creator God. And his love for them. That he would send his son to bear the punishment for their sin and bring them to new eternal life. Blessed with him forever. Or imagine the student who's been in the UK for a year and studying. And she finds the people out there as cold as the weather is. What if she came into a church like this and you went up and spoke to her? You welcomed her. With a welcome that doesn't fear the language barrier or the age gap. But which deepens into a friendship. And then a shared faith and a shared conviction that God is with us. Might that girl be confident enough because of your friendship to go back to her country and maybe even plan to church because she's confident that God is with her? God has heard the cries of his people around the world. He has seen their misery and he is concerned about their suffering. So he sent his son down to rescue them and bring them up out of slavery. Now King Jesus is sending you to proclaim his rescue and bring them up out of Egypt. Will you trust that he is with you and will you be his delivery driver today? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that Moses' story teaches us how you're intimately concerned about the details of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you care about your people and you care enough to send weak, insecure, unable people like us. Thank you, Lord, that you send us and you promise to be with us 
And we pray that you'd give us boldness this week and this month and this year to go where you send us, speak to whoever you send us to. And we pray that you give us the joy of seeing people come to know and trust in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.